Chapter 15 of In the Reign of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ryan Cherrick. In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 15. England. Go below, mademoiselles, the captain of the lugger said as soon as they had put foot on the deck. If anyone on the shore were to see us as we ran down and notice a woman on deck, he would think it strange. At any rate, it is best to be on the safe side. So saying, he led the way to his cabin below. It is a rough place, mademoiselles, he said, removing his cap, but it is better than the prison at Nantes, and I am sorry to say that when we get down near the forts I shall have to ask you to hide down below the casks. I heard last night that in future every boat is going out of the river, even if it is only a fishing boat, is to be searched. But you needn't be afraid. We have constructed a hiding place where they will never find you unless they unloaded the whole lugger, and that there is no chance of their doing. We do not mind where we hide, Captain, Jenny said. We have been hiding for the last six months, and we are indeed grateful to you for having consented to take us with you. I hope that you will not be the last that the Troy Ferry will carry across, the captain said. Whatever be the risk, in the future I will take any fugitives who wish to escape to England. At first I was against the government, for I thought the people were taxed too heavily, and that if we did away with the nobles, things would be better for those who work for their living. But I never bargained for bloodshed and murder, and that affair I saw yesterday has sickened me altogether. And fond as I am of the Troy Ferry, I would myself bore holes in her and sink her if I had a carrier and the whole of this murderous gang securely fastened below hatches. This cabin is at your disposal, mademoiselles, during the voyage, and I trust you will make yourselves as comfortable as you can. Ah, here is the boy with coffee. Now, if you will permit me, I will go on deck and look after the course. In the meantime, Harry was chatting with Adolphe, who introduced him to the crew, whom he had already told of the service Jenny had rendered, and, as several of them lived in the same street, they too heard from their wives of the young woman who lodged with Marie Lefeu, and had done so much for those who were suffering. He was therefore cordially received by the sailors, to each of whom the captain had already promised double pay for the voyage if they got through safely. You will remember, Adolphe said, that you are André Leboeuf. André had to make a cold swim of it this morning, but there was the commissary on the wharf when he started, and he had the captain's list of the crew and saw that each man was on board and searched high and low to see that there was no one else. So, André, instead of slipping off home again, had to go with us. When we were out of sight of the town, the captain steered as near the bank as he could, and André jumped over and swam ashore. It is all the better as it has turned out, because the commissary signed the list of the crew and put a seal to it. In four hours, the Troy Ferry was approaching the forts at the mouth of the river and the captain came down to the cabin, in which Harry was chatting with the two girls. Now, mademoiselle, he said, it is time for you to go to your hiding place, for it will take us nearly half an hour to close it up again. As soon as the Reds have left us, we will let you out. The hatch was lifted, and they descended into the hold of the vessel, which was full of kegs to within three feet of the deck. The captain carried a lantern. Please follow me, mademoiselles. You must crawl along here. The girls followed him until they were close to the bulkhead dividing the hold from the forecastle. Two feet from this, there was a vacant space. Now, mademoiselles, if you will give me your hands, I will lower you down here. 
Do not be afraid. Your feet will touch the bottom, and I have had some hay put in there for you to sit upon. Adolf, you had better go down first with that lantern of yours to receive them. The girls were lowered down and found themselves in a space of five feet long and two feet wide. One side was formed by the bulkhead. On the other, there were kegs. Four feet from the bottom, a beam of wood had been nailed against the bulkhead. The captain now handed down to Adolf some short beams. This he fixed, with one end resting on the beam, the other in a space between the kegs. This is to form the roof, mademoiselles, he said. I am going up now, and then we shall place three tiers of kegs on the beams, which will fill it up level with the rest above. I think you have plenty of air, for it can get down beneath the casks, and the captain will leave the hatchway open. Are you comfortable? Quite, Jenny said firmly, but Virginie did not answer. The thought of being shut up down there in the dark was terrible to her. However, the warm, steady pressure of Jenny's hand reassured her, and she kept her fears to herself. The kegs were lowered into their places, and all was made smooth, just as one of the men called down the hatchway to the captain. There is a gunboat coming out of the port, captain. After a last look round, the captain sprang onto the deck and ordered the sails to be lowered, and in a few minutes the gunboat ran alongside. Show me your papers, an officer said as he leaped on board, followed by half a dozen sailors. The captain went down into his cabin and brought up the papers. That is all right, the officer said, glancing at them. Now where's the list of your crew? This is it, the captain said, taking it from his pocket. A commissary at Nantes went through them on starting and placed his seal to it, as you see. Form the men up, and let them answer to their names, the officer said. The men formed in line, and the officer read out their names. Harry answering for André Leboeuf. That is all right so far, the officer said. Now, sir, I must, according to my orders, search your vessel to see that no one is concealed there. By all means, the captain said, you will find the Troyes Ferry carries nothing contraband except her cargo. I have already taken off the hatch, as you see, in order to save time. The forecastles and cabin were first searched closely. Several of the sailors then descended into the hold. Two lanterns were handed down to them. It looks all clear, sir, one of the sailors said to the officer. The latter leaped down out of the kegs and looked round. Yes, it looks all right, but you had better shift some of the kegs and see that all is solid. Some of the kegs were moved from their position, and in a few places some of the second tier were also lifted. The officer himself superintended the search. I think I can let you go on now, Captain Gringold, he said. Your men can stow the cargo again. A good voyage to you, and may you meet with no English cruisers by the way. The captain at once gave orders for the sails to be run up again and by the time the officer and his men had climbed over the bulwarks into the gunboat of the Troyes Ferry had already way upon her. The captain then gave the order for the men to go below and stow the casks again. Adolf and Harry were the first to leap down, and before the vessels were two hundred yards apart, they had removed the two uppermost tiers of kegs next to the bulkhead and were able to speak to the girls. "'Are you quite all right down there, Jenny?' Harry asked. "'Yes, quite right, Harry.' Though the air is rather close, Virginie has fainted. She was frightened when she heard them moving the kegs just over our heads, but she will come round as soon as you get her on deck. The last tier was removed, and Harry lowered himself into the hold. He and Jenny raised Virginie until Adolphe and one of the other sailors could reach her. Jenny was lifted on to the crossbeams, and was soon beside her sister, and Harry quickly clambered up. They must not come on deck yet, the captain said, speaking down the hatchway. We are too close to the gunboat, and from the forts with their glasses, 
they can see what is passing on our deck. Don't replace the kegs over the hole again. Adolf, we may be overhauled again, and had better leave it open in case of emergencies. Virginie was carried under the open hatchway. Some water was handed down to Jenny, who sprinkled it on her face, and this, with fresh air, speedily brought her round. When the lugger was a mile below the forts, the captain said that they could now safely come up, and they were soon in possession of the cabin again. Before evening, the lugger was out of sight of land. The wind was blowing freshly, and she raced along, leaving a broad track of foam behind her. The captain and crew were in high spirits at having succeeded in carrying off the fugitives from under their noises, noses of their enemies, and at the progress the lugger was making. We shall not be far from the coast of England by tomorrow night, the captain said to Harry. That is, if we have the luck to avoid meeting of any English cruisers. We don't care much for the revenue cutters, for there is not one of them that can overhaul the Troyes Ferry in wind like this. They have all had more than one try, but we can laugh at them. But it would be di a different thing if we fell into one of the channel cruisers. In a light wind, we could keep away from them too. But with a brisk wind like this, we should have no chance with them. They carry too much sail for us. There is a boy carrying in the supper to your sisters. With their permission, you and I will sup with them. The captain sent in a polite message to the girls and on receipt of the answer that they would be very pleased to have the captain's company, he and Harry went down. The meal was an excellent one, but the girls ate but little, for they were both beginning to feel the effects of the motion of the vessel, for they had, when once fairly at sea, kept on deck. The captain, perceiving that they ate but little, proposed to Harry that coffee should be served on deck, so that the ladies might at once lie down for the night. "'Now, Captain,' Harry said, as the skipper lit his pipe, I dare say you would like to hear how we came to be fugitives on board your ship. If you have no obligation to tell me, I should indeed, the captain replied. I have been wondering all day how you young people escaped the search for suspects so long, and how you came to be at Nantes, where, as Adolf tells me, your sister was an angel among the poor, and that you yourself were a member of the Revolutionary Committee. That seemed to me the most extraordinary of all but I wouldn't ask any questions until you yourself volunteered to enlighten me. Harry thereupon related the whole story of their adventures, concealing only the fact that the girls were not his sisters, as it was less awkward for Jenny that the relationship should be supposed to exist. Saprise, your adventures have been marvelous, monsieur, and I congratulate you heartily. You have a rare head and courage, and yet you cannot be above twenty. I am just nineteen, Harry replied. Just nineteen, and you succeeded in getting your friends safely out of that mob of scoundrels in the Abate. Got your elder sister out of La Force, you fooled Raspierre and the revolutionists in Nantes, and you carried those girls safely through France, rescued them from the white lugger, and got them on board the Troyes Ferry? It sounds like a miracle. The getting them on board the Troyes Ferry, you must remember, my sister's work. I had failed and was in despair. Suspicions were already aroused and we should assuredly have been arrested if I had not been that she won the heart of Adolf's wife by nursing her child in its illness. That is so, the captain agreed, and they must have good courage, too, that they didn't betray themselves all that time. And now I tell you what I will do, monsieur. If you will write a letter to your sister in Paris, saying that you and the other two have reached England safely, I will, when I return, send it by sure hand to Paris, to make all safe you had better send it to the people she is staying with. 
and word it so that no one will understand it if they were to read it. Say, for example, My dear sister, you will be glad to hear that the consignment of lace has been safely landed in England. Then you can go on saying that your mother is better, and that you expect to be married soon, as you have made a good profit out of lace, and so on, and just sign your name, your brother, Henry. I can trust the man who will deliver it in Paris, but it is just as well always to be on the safe side. If your letter is opened and read, anyone will suppose that it is written by a sailor belonging to one of the Nantes luggers. Harry thanked the captain warmly for the offer, and said that the letter would indeed be an immense comfort to his sister and friend. I will tell the man that he is to ask if there is any answer, the captain said, and if your sister is as sharp as you are, she will write the same sort of letter, and I will bring it across with me to England the first voyage I make after I get it. Harry slept down in the forecastle with the crew, the captain keeping on deck all night. He was awoke by an order shouted down the forecastle for all hands to come on deck, and hurrying up with the rest, found that the sun had just risen. The day was beautifully fine, and to Harry's surprise he found that those on deck had already lowered the great lug sails. What is it, captain? he asked. There is a sail there I don't like, the captain said. If I am not mistaken, that is an English frigate. There were several sails in sight, but the one to which the captain pointed was crossing ahead of the lugger. Her hull could not be seen, and indeed from the deck only her topsails and royals were visible above the water. I hope she will not see us, the captain said. We are low in the water, and these stump masts could hardly be seen at that distance, even by a lookout at the masthead. We are already somewhat astern of her, and every minute will take her further away. If she does not see us in a quarter of an hour, we shall be safe. If she does, there is nothing for it but to run back towards the French coast. We should have such a long start that with this wind she would never catch us. But she may fire her guns and bring another cruiser down upon us and cast us off. There are a dozen of them waiting on different parts of the coast. Harry kept his eye anxiously upon the ship, but she sailed steadily on, and in a half an hour the sails were again hoisted and the Troyes Ferry proceeded on her way. She passed comparatively near several merchantmen, but these paid no attention to her. She was too small for a privateer, and her object and destination were easily guessed at. The girls soon came on deck, and the captain had some cushions placed for them under shelter of the bulwark, for although the sun was shining brightly, the wind was keen and piercing. Are we beyond danger? was Virginie's first question as Harry took his seat by her. Beyond all danger of being overtaken, that is to say, beyond all danger of meeting a French vessel of war, they are very seldom venture to show themselves many miles from port, except, of course, as a fleet, for single vessels would soon get picked up by our cruisers. Yes, I think we are quite out of danger. There's only one chance against us. And what is that, Harry? Jenny asked. It is not a serious one, Harry replied. It is the only that we may be chased by English revenue cutters and forced to run off from the English coast again. But even then, we should soon return. Besides, I have no doubt the captain would let us have a boat, so that we could be picked up by the cutter in pursuit of us. I don't think that would be a good plan, Jenny said, because they might not stop to pick us up, and then we might have a long way to reach the shore. No, I don't think it would be better to stay on board. Harry, for you, as you say, if she does have to run away for a time, she is sure to come back again to unload her cargo. But of course, do whatever you think best. I think your view is the best, Jenny. However, I hope the opportunity will not occur. 
and that the Troyes Ferry will run her cargo without interference. The captain tells me he is making for a port on the Dorkshire coast, and that he is expected, of course. He could not say the exact day he would be here, but he told them the day on which, if he could get his cargo on board, he should sail, and they will be looking out for him. Before sunset, the English coast was visible. We could not have timed it better, the captain said. It will be getting dark before they could make us out, even from the cliffs. Every sail was now scrutinized by the captain through his glass, but he saw nothing that looked suspicious. At nine o'clock in the evening, the lugger was within three miles of the coast. Get ready to the signal lanterns, the captain ordered, and a few minutes later, three lanterns were hoisted, one above the other. Almost immediately, two lights were shown in a lane atop the cliff. There is our answer, the captain said. There is nothing to be done tonight. That means the revenue men are on the lookout. Come back tomorrow night. But they are always on the lookout, are they not? Harry asked. Yes, the captain said. But when our friends on shore know we are coming, they try to throw them off the scent. It will be whispered about tomorrow that a run is likely to be made ten miles along the coast, and they will take care that this comes to the ears of the revenue officer. Then tomorrow evening after dusk, a fishing boat will go out and show some lights two miles off the shore at a point named, and a rocket will be sent up from the cliff. That will convince them that the news is true, and the revenue officers will hurry away in that direction with every man they can get together. Then we shall run here and land our cargo. There will be plenty of carts waiting for us, and before the revenue men are back, the kegs will be stowed safely away miles inland. Of course, things go wrong sometimes, and the revenue officers are not to be fooled, but in nine cases out of ten, we manage to run our cargoes without a shot being fired. Now I must get off shore again. The orders were given, and the Troy Ferry was soon running out to sea. They stood far out and lowered the sails and drifted until late in the afternoon, when they again made sail for the land. At ten o'clock, the signal lights were again exhibited, and this time the answer was made by one light, low down by the water's edge. The coast is clear, the captain said, rubbing his hands. We'll take her in as close as she will go. The less distance there is to row, the better. The Troy Ferry was run until within a hundred yards of the shore. Then a light anchor was dropped, the two boats had already been lowered, and were towed alongside, and the work of transferring the cargo at once began. Do you go in the first boat, monsieur? With the ladies, the captain said. The sooner you are ashore, the better. There is no saying whence we may not be disturbed and obliged to run out to sea again at a moment's notice. Thank God, he exclaimed, as after wading through the shallow water he stood on the shore, while the two of the sailors carried the girls and put them beside him. Thank God I have got you safe to English soil at last. I began to despair at one time. Thank God indeed, Janice said reverently, but I have never quite despaired, Harry. It seemed to me he had protected us through so many dangers that he must mean that we should go safely through them all, and yet it did seem hopeless at one time. We had better stand on one side, girls, or rather we had better push off from the cliff. These people are all too busy to notice us, and you might get knocked down. Besides, the Coast Guard might arrive at any moment, and then there would be a fight. So let us get well away from them. But they had difficulty in making their way up the cliff, for the path was filled with men carrying up tubs coming down for more after placing them into carts, which were waiting to convey them inland. At last, they got on top. One of the carts was already laden and was, 
on the point of driving off when Harry asked the man if he could tell him any farmhouse near, where the two ladies who had landed with him could pass the night. Master's place is two miles away, the men said, but if you like to walk as far, he will take you in, I doubt not. The girls at once agreed to the proposal, and in three quarters of an hour the cart drew up at a farmhouse. Is it all right, Bill? a man asked, opening the door as the cart stopped. Yes, it will be all right. None of the revenue chaps nigh the place. Here be the load of tubs. They was the first that came ashore. Who have you got here? the farmer asked as Harry came forward with the girls. These are the young ladies we have cr crossed in the lugger, Harry replied. They have narrowly escaped being murdered in France by the revolutionists and have gone through a terrible time. As they have nothing to go to tonight, I thought perhaps you would kindly let them sit by your fire till morning. Surely I will, the farmer said. Get ye in, get ye in, mistress. Here are two young French ladies who have escaped from those bloody-minded scoundrels in Paris. I needn't tell you to do what you can for them. The farmer's wife at once came forward and received the girls most kindly. They had both picked up a little English during Harry's residence at the chateau, and feeling they were in good hands, Harry again went out and led his assistance to the farmer in carrying the tubs down to a place of concealment made under the flooring in one of the barns. The next day, the farmer drove into his gig to a town some miles inland. Here, they procured dresses in which they could travel without exciting attention, and took their places in the coach which passed through the town for London next day. That evening, Harry gently broke to the girls the news of their brother's death, for he thought that it would otherwise come as a terrible shock to them on the arrival at his home. Virginie was terribly upset, and Jenny cried for some time. Then she said, Your news does not surprise me, Harry. I have had a feeling all along that you knew something, but were keeping it from me. You spoke so very seldom of them, and when you did, it seemed to me that what you said was not spoken in your natural voice. I felt sure that you had known nothing you would have often talked to us of meeting them in London, and of the happiness it would be. I would not ask, because I was sure you had a good reason for not telling us, but I was quite sure that there was something. I thought it better to keep it from you, Jenny, until the danger was all over. In the first place, you had need of all your courage and strength. In the next place, it was possible that you might never reach England, and in that case, you would never have suffered the pain of knowing anything about it. How thoughtful you are, Harry, Jenny murmured. Oh, how much we owe you. But oh, how again strange and lonely we seem, everywhere gone except Marie. And we may never see her again. You will see her again. Never fear, Harry said confidently. And you will not feel lonely long, for I can promise you that before you have been long at my mother's place, you will feel like one of the family. Yes, but I shall not be one of the family, Jenny said. Not yet, Jenny, but mother will look upon you as her daughter directly. I tell her that you have promised to become so in reality some day. Harry's reception, when with the two girls he drove up in a hackney coach to the house at Shane Walk, was overwhelming, and the two French girls were at first bewildered by the rush of boys and girls who tore down the steps and threw themselves upon Harry's neck. You will stifle me between you all, Harry said, as he responded to the embraces. Where are father and mother? Father is out and mother is in the garden. No, there she is, as Mrs. Sandwith, pale and agitated, appeared at the door, having hurried in when one of the young ones had shouted out from a back window, Harry has come! Oh, my boy, we had given you up, she sobbed as Harry rushed into her arms. 
I am worth a great many dead men yet, mother. But now let me introduce you to Mademoiselle Jeanne and Virginie de saint Cal, of whom I have written to you so often. They are orphans, mother, and I have promised them that you and father will fill the place of their parents. That will we willingly, said Miss Sandwith said, turning to the girls and kissing them with motherly kindness. Come in, my dears, and welcome home for the sake of my dear boy and for that of your parents who were so kind to him. Never mind all these wild young people, she added, as the boys and girls pressed round to shake hands with the newcomers. You will get accustomed to their way presently. Do you speak in English? Enough to understand, Jenny said, but not enough to speak much. Thank you, madame, for receiving us so kindly, for we are all alone in the world. Mrs. Sandwith saw the girl's lip quiver, and putting aside her longing to talk to her son, said, Harry, do take them all about the garden for a short time. They are all talking at once, and this is a perfect babble. And thus, having cleared the room, she sat down to talk to the two girls, and soon made them feel at home with her by her unaffected kindness. Dr. Sandwith soon appeared, ran out to the excited chattering group in the garden, and after a few minutes, happy talk with him, Harry spoke to him of the visitors who were closeted with his mother. I want you to make them feel it is their home, father. They will be no burden pecuniarily, for there are money and jewels worth a large sum over here. Of course I know that, Dr. Sandwith said, seeing that, as you know, they were consigned to me, and the Marquis wrote to ask me to act as his agent. The money is invested in stock, and the jewels are in the hands of my bankers. I had begun to wonder what would become of it all, for I was by no means sure that the whole family had not perished, as well as yourself. There are only the three girls left, Harry said. In that case, they will be well off, for the Marquis enclosed me a will saying that if anything should happen to him, and the estate should be altogether lost, the money and proceeds of the jewels would be divided equally among the children. You must have gone through a great deal, old boy. You are scarcely nineteen, and you look too or three and twenty. I shall soon look young again, father. Now I have got my mind clear of anxiety, but I will have had a trying time of it, I can tell you. But it's too long a story to go into now. I will tell you all the whole yarn this evening. I want you to go in with me now to the girls and make them at home. All this must be just as trying for them at present as the dangers they have gone through. The young ones were all forbidden to follow. After an hour spent with his parents and the girls in the dining room, Harry was pleased to see that the latter were beginning to feel at their ease, and the strangeness was wearing off. That evening, before the whole circle of his family, Harry related the adventures that they had gone through. Subject, however, to great many interruptions from Jenny. But I am telling the story, not you, Jenny, he said at last. Some day, when you begin to talk English quite well, you shall give your version of it. But he is not telling it right, madame, Jenny protested. He keeps all the best part back. He says about the dangers, but he says nothing about what he do himself. Then she broke into French. No, madame, it is not just, it is not right. I will not suffer the tale to be told so. How can it be the true story when he says no word of his courage, of his devotion, of the way he watched over us and cheered us? No word of his grand heart, of the noble way he risked his life for us, for our sister, for our parents, for all. Oh, madame, I cannot tell you what we all owe to him. And Jenny, who had risen to her feet in her earnestness, burst into passionate tears. This put an end to the story for the evening, for Miss Sandwith saw that Jenny required rest and quiet, and took the two girls up at once to the bedroom prepared for them. From this, 
Jenny did not descend for some days. As long as the strain was upon her, she had borne herself bravely, but now that it was over, she collapsed completely. After the young ones had all gone off to bed, Harry said to his father and mother, I have another piece of news to tell you now. I am afraid you will think it rather absurd at my age, without a profession or anything else, but I am engaged to Jenny. You see, he went on, as his parents both uttered an exclamation of surprise, we have gone through a tremendous lot together, and when people have to look death in the face every day, it makes them older than they are. And when, as in this case, they have to depend entirely upon themselves, it brings them very closely together. I think it might have been so, these troubles never come on, for somehow we had taken very much to each other, though it might have been years before anything came of it, her poor father and mother saw it before I knew it myself, and upon the night before they were separated told her elder sister and brother that, should I ever ask for Jenny's hand, they approved of her marrying me. But although afterwards I came to love her with all my heart, I should have never spoken had it not been that I did so when it seemed that in five minutes we should neither of us be alive. If it hadn't been for that, I should have brought her home and waited till I was making my own way in life. I do not blame you, Harry, my boy, his father said heartily. Of course you are very young, and under ordinary circumstances would not have been thinking about a wife for years to come yet. But I can see that your Jenny is a girl of no ordinary character, and it is certainly for her happiness that, being here with her sister among strangers, she should feel that she is at home. Personally, she is charming, and even in point of fortune you will be considered a lucky fellow. What do you say, mother? I say God bless them both, Mrs. Samwith said earnestly. After the way in which Providence has brought them together, there could be no doubt that they were meant for each other. Do you know I half-guessed there was something more than mere gratitude in Jeanne's heart when she flamed out just now? Did not you, mother? Mrs. Sandwith nodded and smiled. I was sure there was, she said. I did not say anything about it when we came in, Harry said, because I thought it better for Jeanne to have one quiet day, and you know the young ones will laugh awfully at the idea of me being engaged. Never you mind, Harry, his father said. Let those laugh that win. But you are not thinking of getting married yet, I hope. No, no, father, you cannot think I would live on Jeanne's money. And you still intend to go into the army, Harry? No, father, I have had enough of bloodshed for the rest of my life. I have been thinking it over a good deal, and I have determined to follow your example and become a doctor. That's right, my boy, Dr. Samus said heartily. I have always regretted you had a fancy for the army, for I used to look forward to you becoming my right hand. Your brothers, too, do not take to the profession, so I began to think I was going to be alone in my old age. You have made me very happy, Harry, and your mother, too, I am sure. It will be delightful for us having you and your pretty French wife settled by us, will it not, mother? It will indeed, Mrs. Sandwith said in a tone of deep happiness. You are certainly overworked and need a partner terribly, and who could be like Harry? Yes, I have been thinking of taking a partner for some time, but now I will hold on alone for another three years. By that time, Harry will have passed. The next morning, the young ones were told the news. The elder girls were delighted at the thought of Jenny becoming their sister, but the boys went into fits of laughter and shaved Harry so unmercifully for the next day or two that it was just as well that Jenny was up in her room. By the time she came down, they had recovered their gravity. Mrs. Sandwith and the girls had already given their warmest welcome as Harry's future wife, and the boys received her so warmly 
when she appeared that Jeannie soon felt she was indeed one of the family. Three years later, on the day after Harry passed his final examination, Jeannie and he were married, and set up a pretty establishment close to Shane Walk, with Virginie to live with them, and Harry, at first as his father's assistant, and very soon as his partner, had the satisfaction of feeling that he was not wholly dependent on Jeannie's fortune. They had received occasional news from Marie. Victor had steadily recovered his strength and memory, and as soon as the reign of terror had come to an end, and the priests were able to show themselves from their hiding places, in many an out-of-the-way village in the country, Marie and Victor were quietly married. But France was at war with all Europe now, and Victor, though he hated the revolution, was a thorough Frenchman, and though some of his old friends who had escaped the wave of destruction, he had obtained a commission and joined Bonaparte when he went to take the command of the army of Italy. He had attracted his general's attention early in the campaign by a deed of desperate valor, and was already in command of a regiment, when soon after Jenny's marriage, Marie came over to England by way of Holland to stay for a time with her sisters. She was delighted at finding Jenny so happy, and saw enough before she returned to France to feel assured that before very long Virginie would follow Jenny's example, and would also become an Englishwoman, for she and Harry's next brother Tom had evidently some sort of understanding between them. It was not until many years later that the three sisters met again, when, after the fall of Napoleon, Jenny and Virginie went out with their husbands and stayed for some weeks with General de Gaisons and his wife at the old chateau named near Dijon. This the general had purchased back from the persons into whose hands it had fallen at the revolution, with the money which he had received as his wife's dowry. End of chapter 15 Recording by Ryan Cherrick End of In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty.